0: Hello and welcome to Realignment, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition actual play series. I am Gianni, the Game Master of this campaign. This podcast is a slightly different version from the YouTube series, with a little bit more of an edit. Note that there may be a little bit of context lost from visual cues and gags in this version, so if you want the full experience of us having fun around the table in a beautiful set, we recommend you check it out at youtube.com slash hijinks. If you're entirely new to tabletop role-playing shows, D&D, or Pathfinder 2nd Edition, then we also have a short video that explains everything you need to know to follow along with this show. Realignment contains adult themes, coarse language, and descriptions of fantasy violence. Full content warnings can be found in the show description. And now, enjoy the show. In the north of Ancora, spring heralds a thrum of life and hope. Frost melts to dew on verdant meadows, bees and butterflies throng to blooming flowers, and twittering birds welcome a dawning land. A magic steeped deep into the mountains and the earth hums, and people rouse excitedly to a changing season. Festivals and feasts energise sleepy hamlets and villages, while towns and cities become painted with noise and colour for the end of winter. But there is one event that becomes the talk of the land every year, from old murmurs of the common folk to dinner conversation at every noble's table. It is the admission of new students to the Forgelight Academy. Every year, hundreds of hopeful entrants from all across the country and beyond travel to the village of Fyðast for a chance to make a name for themselves. For at the Academy, the best in brains, brawn, and spirit come together to be the frontrunners of society. Future leaders and heroes across all disciplines rise as shining lights to seek a better world, to seek truth, to seek justice and peace, for some to seek fame and notoriety, and for many to seek adventure, lost secrets and treasures. But every legend has an origin, and every hero their beginning. So we're going to move now to the seaside town of Port Yactura. Port Yaktura is a loud and bustling town that rises early, works hard, and drinks by night. An old seaside town, stone buildings and cobblestone streets wind and sprawl along the bay where a hundred boats sleepily roll from side to side with the tide. The light from a tall lighthouse sweeps lazily across the water in the foggy morning. There is a layer of grime on the town, and its people, from the salt, water, and seagull ship. The heavy stench of fish and salt is inescapable but safe from all the smells and sounds of the street below, atop a headland looking out over the bay, a beautiful brick manor stands in the morning light. A sound of clang 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 rings out across the headland as two figures clash swords. Tom, can you please describe
1: your character? You see a young looking half elf boy dressed in a simple long sleeved tunic with a beautiful blue vest that functions as his armour and at his side normally but now in his hand you see his long dueling sword and he's got uh, long orange hair tied up in a short bun and deep bright purple eyes Cool. So your opponent stands a few
0: meters away from you. He's a couple of centimeters taller. He's wearing a, like a leather tunic. He's got a, a much bigger frame than you as well. And he's got these dark curls falling around his face. He's full elvish. But he has the same purple eyes and that stare back at you. And you're both panting and sweating from the exertion of the fight. And as he sort of looks at you from under a sweaty brow, he goes, Kel, if you weren't so garbage, I thought you might be practicing. Well, it seems you're more out of breath than I am. I could go another round if you want to. You could talk all day and then you hear a biting enough from the sidelines and there's a shade cloth sitting on the edge of the pitch and two figures standing there. One is like a shorter elvish man who has a mess of black hair on his head but he is wearing a finery of noble regalia and a coat that wears your signature royal blue house colour. Standing next to him is your Aunt Primera, who is the Duchess of Canholm. She is much taller than your uncle is. And she has long blonde hair done up in quite a sort of obnoxious Mary Antoinette updo. And she has the same purple eyes as you do as well. And she strides out onto the pitch between the two of you as you're throwing these banters at each other. And she says, I did not agree to send you to the Academy so that you could indulge that reckless tongue of yours. Straighten up, stop chatting. And get back to practice. Yes, aunt. Fix your grip. It's pathetic. And she turns to Taris as well and she says, Taris, quit holding back. He needs to learn what it's like to lose. Yes, mum. And she strides back to the shade cloth and he looks at you much more seriously now. He says, your right foot, it's a bit slow on the pivot. You can Pick it up. Thanks, cousin. And he raises his sword in preparation. So I would actually like you to roll initiative for me, please. Mm-hmm. That is going to be an 18. You're gonna go first. You are both standing facing off with practice swords in your hands. You don't have your normal leather armor on, so Mm -hmm. your AC is only 15 currently. Mm -hmm. And he is sort of circling around you. And in that moment of poise and getting back to his position, you have the
1: chance to move first. So what do you do? I'm going to immediately lunge in for a feint and Mm -hmm. try and draw him off guard on his left side and then pivot and strike at his right. Great. So you have three actions every round, mm-hmm. so that'll be one action to move
0: up to him, one action to do a feint. I roll me a deception check. That is a 19. You catch him off guard as you run in, and he seems a bit confident as you're coming in, and he's sort of ready for it, but then you make a quick step to the side, and then do mm-hmm. a, strike. a strike. yep.
1: The strike is
0: a 16. 16? Oh, cool, yeah, that'll hit. Roll your damage. Two.
1: <laughs> I rolled a one.
0: Cool. So you catch him off guard and then your sword comes around and he pivots just in time to knock it off a little bit, but you manage to catch him on the side and give him a a thwack on the side of his shoulder. Um, And And he stumbles back.
1: I shout, aha, first blood, dear cousin. Uh, But it
0: won't be the last. And he lunges in for you. And he, in turn, does his own feint. My deception DC will be 16. But you're ready for it. And he comes in and he goes to duck around, but you manage to skirt around with enough speed to dodge it. And... That goes for a a strike, which will not work. And he dives past you as you step out of the way elegantly.
1: So derivative, Um, cousin.
0: (laughs) He raises his sword, and you can see that he goes into a parried stance, ready for you. So he's going to be a bit more defensive coming around. So it's your turn again.
1: I'm going to look him dead in the eyes and say, I've heard rumors in the town that, well, let's just say the sword seems to be the stiffest thing around that you possess. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to try Bon Mott. Cool. So how does that work? So, Von Mott is a Diplomacy check, and if I succeed, uh, it's against their will DC, Mm -hmm. if I succeed they're distracted and they gain a Neg-2 to Perception. And that is a 16. Yeah, cool, that works. And you see he's like, he
0: takes a step back and he's like, how did you, I mean, what?
1: (laughs) That's going to give me panache, so I'm going to then go in for... Finisher attack. Okay, so my, tell us what Panache is. Uh, so Panache as a swashbuckler is basically the. It represents your swashbuckly charismatic prowess, essentially. So when you have Panache, you gain a bunch of benefits, and uh, because I am a wit, I gain panache whenever I succeed at one-liners or tumbling or any other sort of swashbuckly-style acts. And it gives me some bonuses that I can use in some fun ways. So
0: from the effect that you see this quip has, you gain a bit of confidence as you see that he's a bit rattled from it. You can take the rest of your actions, what are you gonna
1: do? I'm gonna move in for a finisher attack, and uh, I'm gonna use my confident finisher ability, which basically means I make a standard melee attack, and if I hit, I deal a bunch of extra damage. Cool, go for it. And that will be a 23, no, Mm -hmm. 22. Which Hashim is going to hit? Yes, yep, that'll be a clean hit. So he's going to take seven and then five damage. So that's going to be 13. Holy shit. Sorry, 12 (laughs) again. I can't add 12 Um, total. Yeah, cool. So
0: you knock him and you come on in and charge and with your, what is your finisher? Do you Uh, have a particular style? So
1: so as he gets a bit flustered and comes off balance, I'm going to just step smoothly in and just straight on point in the center of the chest and try and knock him back. It lands
0: a millimeter away from his like neck. It's the perfect Uh,
1: smooth kind of step.
0: Yeah. And he's sort of like there and he just drops his sword and he's like, fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Better luck next time, cousin.
0: You see as you sort of lower your sword down that your aunt and uncle have already stood up and they're starting to walk off the pitch. And he goes, right, I've been practicing. He brushes himself off and he picks up his things off the ground and he turns and he says, you better clean up. Cool, so you head inside this manor. There's a couple of servants, household staff on the inside. There's peacocks in the yard and beautifully carved hedges that are resembling various different animals as you pass on through. You'll need to get your things together. What do you want to do while you're in your house for probably the last time for a while?
1: I'd imagine his trunk's probably already packed. He doesn't really have much to take with him, a couple books, and then his clothes and his sword is pretty much all he's going to take. I think, honestly, he's probably going to want to go spend as much time with his dad as possible. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he lingers in the manor for too long.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, So you managed to get your things together. Your aunt and uncle actually waiting by the door with your cousin as well once you're finally packed and ready to go. And your aunt says, well then, you're all set.
1: Ready as I'll ever be.
0: Good, well, I guess this is goodbye. Make sure you do not bring shame upon our name.
1: I'll do my best. Tara says, come on, I'll walk you out. I I
0: just puff up a bit, try and like,
1: you know, walk out with some poise, I think.
0: And you head out and as you're sort of like walking down to the front gate, Tara says, how long have you got?
1: I think I've got an hour or two till the coach comes, so... Yeah, okay. Well,
0: yeah, great. Good. If you always want to come back and keep your wardship here, you can, you know. I appreciate
1: you saying so, but I think we both know that's not happening. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, try and keep it cool as well. You know you know what happens when you get a bit hot-headed. and wouldn't want any more uh,
1: incidents. L- that was Look, that was one time, okay? We paid the tavern keeper. It was all squared away.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... Good looking out. And he holds out his hand for you. Clasp it.
1: Cool. And as he goes to turn, I'm just going to put a hand on his shoulder and say, I'm going to miss you, cousin.
0: Yeah. The aunt's right, you know. You uh, won't be able to indulge that tongue of yours at the academy. And he goes,
2: and starts to run inside.
0: (laughs) Runs away. I'll get you someday. (laughs) Um... (sighs) You head down to Dockside, where the stench of the town is much stronger. The fish permeates your nose as you head down to the lower streets. There's crap everywhere, basically. And there's a lot more people hustling and bustling, and you're secondhand, but freshly cleaned clothes are probably a little bit out of place down here and you make your way through the streets to eventually find a small building that's sort of wedged between two much larger buildings there's the cry from a, a market crier nearby going reef claws reef claws get your reef claws only two silvers a piece but uh, you approach this small narrow shop and outside is a sign that reads the and
1: swill homemade bread and homebrewed beer
0: it's painted like a pastel pink as well on the outside do you go in?
1: Yeah, yep. you know, I think I clock the scent of fresh baked goods from at least half a block away. Yeah, great. Pick um, up my pace a little.
0: You open the door and like a little bell ding ding as you head inside and instantly that fresh baked smell fills your nostrils and there's also a bit of sweetness in there. There's like cinnamon and nutmeg as well. And inside is a quaint little shop front. but There's a shelf against the back wall that contains a lot of fresh bread but there's like a couple of little tables with little doily tablecloths draped over them. And a big burly man standing behind the bar turns around and says, Hello and welcome! Oh, my boy! Hello, and Dad. He walks up to you. He's he's bald or uh, well, balding, and with a big warrus mustache and like big burly hairy arms. Yeah. And he's wearing a pink apron that says "World's Best Dad" on it. He's carrying a couple of loaves of bread under his arm that he was putting up on the shelf, but he instantly like drops them on the shelf and he comes forward and like grabs you into a big bear ah, hug. You left it late to the morning.
1: Oh, I I uh, had practice. I, uh, yeah. No, they're
0: working you too hard up there. Oh, wait, I've got something for you. And he shuffles away and he grabs a couple of mitts on the way out and he heads into the back room and you hear the sound of an iron door.
1: I hop up on the counter and just kind of sit there, waiting for him to come back. Yeah,
0: and he brings out a tray of freshly baked cookies that are in the shape of little candles and he says,
1: (laughs) You want to try one? Yes, of course.
0: (laughs) Um, um, You know you've been
1: making this joke since I was seven, right? Yeah, well, you know,
0: seemed appropriate. (laughs) And he grabs one as well. And, and starts to like just just gnaw down on it. And he drops the tray onto the side and he says, so how you feeling?
1: Um, a little nervous. Mm. Yeah, but I don't really know what to expect. But can I be honest with you, Dad? Always. I am really glad I don't have to see my aunt again tomorrow.
0: <laughs> my boy, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. You know, she was, was a bit of a weird one. And he says, look, while do I close up shop? I've got something to show you. And he grabs a bundle of stuff from out behind the counter and takes it under his arm. He's like, come on. Oh, uh, um, yeah, OK. Yeah. I'm going to help him close up the shop. Cool. And he leads you through the streets of Dockside. Cookie out the way past. <laughs> you take a couple for the road. And he leads you through the streets of Dockside down to a small jetty. And you walk out and then there's a, a little dinghy, which, you know, is your dad's little rowboat. And that's tied up. And he says,
1: hop in, hop in. Oh. Uh, um, you know that the, the coach is going to be here and Yes, yes. Oh, like, no, okay. don't worry about the coach. Oh, we'll right, get back in time. All right, all right. And he... I'll hop on he, in. Yep, he jumps in and the whole boat goes... <laughs> I, I gingerly sort of step in a bit nervously and then sit down.
0: Yep, yep. He's like, look, it wouldn't be complete uh, without one last trip to the lighthouse. I thought he unties the rope from the jetty and flops it in and instantly grabs the oars and with just a couple of burly pulls against the water. Like- yeah, the boat just skips across the water really quickly. And as you approach, there's the lighthouse that's out on a little headland a bit further out. And he says, I remember bringing your ear when you were a small lad. Uh, You and your mother would look for crabs around the rocks. It was real sweet. And you sort of like sail out and there's boats in the harbor coming in and out. There's sailors on large ships that are skirting around fresh from fish trawling or ventures across the sea. And there's one ship that pulls up alongside you. As they come out, they're singing a familiar song that you've heard a thousand times as you're down these docks because a lot of the time the sailors will be singing around the pubs and the places that you've been snuck into with your dad. And they're hoisting sails, you know, grabbing buckets and tying ropes and everything. And they skirt past, and as they go past, you hear a couple of the verses as they're singing. When I'm out at sea and far from shore, my head and heart and everything sore. I know I took my chance to roam, there's time enough for coming home. And then another guy picks up. When a siren's call would call me down. And I think that I'd surely drown. And bless my stars, I'd not die alone. There's time enough for coming home. And then your dad actually stands up on his little jetty and calls out and everyone says, Oh, it's Balin! (laughs) um, Down from the ship. And he sets up and puts his hand to his heart and he says, I grab the boat as it rocks. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be time plenty. Be it one year or 20, but my heart is full of salt and foam. And then everyone joins in. There'll be time enough for coming home. And everyone like, cheers, yeah! And they all like have beer randomly. Um, (laughs) Um, And he goes, good luck, boys. And they all wave back, thanks, Balan. (laughs) And they head out. He says, old sailing buddies. Used to see them out in the ships. Do you know absolutely everyone in this port? Yep. Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. And he says, Look, and, and sits down. I uh, wanted to have a little bit of a heart-to-heart with you, Kel.
1: So you brought me out here where I couldn't escape?
0: Yes. <laughs> I mean, the water's there if you want to try. No, no thanks. <laughs> we know what you are with swimming. Look, you know that your mother would have been proud of you. Not as proud as I am, but she would have been. But... The life of a luminary isn't easy, we should know. Um, you might face impossible challenges. I just wanted you to uh, to come out here to the lighthouse and, and know that if you, if, well, if you ever feel lost, if you feel like it's too much, just know that the lighthouse is gonna be here guiding you home. And I'll be right here, a bowl of reef claw soup, ready hot, no questions asked,
1: okay? You know, Dad, when I was a kid, I used to think that thing was the biggest thing in the world. And I think I'm ready to see some bigger things. But, but, but thank you. I love you, Dad.
0: Oh, come here. And he, he's crying a little bit and, and brings you into a big bear hug again. But he says, uh, there's one more thing. And he pulls out that bundle that he had picked up from the shop. And he carefully unwraps it with a sort of air of reverence about him and it's very slow and very intentional. He removes this canvas cloth from it and he picks up a dueling sword. It is long, straight and narrow in a chestnut dark sheath and it has a golden and simple elegant swept hilt that wraps around the handle of it and he passes it over to you and he says, they brought this back. She always said, if anything were to happen to her, uh, make sure you get it, and I'm holding my end of the deal. Okay. <laughs> and he passes it over to you, and as you clutch it in your hand, there's a swan emblem embossed on the hilt of it. He continues and says, It's a shame she, uh, never showed me how to properly draw it. I guess, uh, so I'm confident you'll work it out when you're ready. And he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, You're gonna be as bright a luminary as she was. Brighter, even.
1: And I take it and I say, thanks, Dad, I promise I'll... And then I trip and throw it in the water. <laughs> no, 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 no. thanks, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, uh, it's gone. Right it's gone. <laughs> uh, family heirloom. No, I, uh, I uh, take it and I rest it gently on my lap. And I say, I'll try to earn it.
0: And we'll close that out there <laughs> with you on the boat. You did make it to the carriage in time, by the way. Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we move now to an entirely different terrain. Twinbrook is a small hinterland village that is normally quiet all year round. Nestled on the edge of a small wood, it is surrounded by lush green meadows and fields of farms. The houses are squat and made of stone, with cosy hearths and chimneys, and everywhere you go you can smell roast vegetables. Two fresh small streams cut through the middle of the town, dotted with waterwheels and where townsfolk can usually be seen on the banks washing their clothes and playing in the water. The town is vibrant with life today, however with the routine winter clothes festival at this time of year. But for you, Milo, the noise of that is like a low hum compared to the chatter of the water, the trees and the birds as you make your way deeper into the woods. As you're skipping through the underbrush, can you tell us what Milo looks like?
3: So Milo is a very skinny gnome. He has black hair that kind of fades out into this very warm blue. He also has very bright hazel eyes and his clothes are tattered but thrown together in a much more tasteful way that it looks like he chose to as this is his style.
0: You make your way through until you find the the log that sits between two oaks. You go and take a seat where you have come many times before. You sit down expectantly and waiting and next to you in one of the oak trees, two bloodshot yellow eyes just slowly open and a gnarled face of bark just rotates around to look in your direction. And emerging from the tree in a a squat position is a treant as it takes its first step away from the oak and goes, hey little sprout.
3: Hey. How you doing? Good. I brought you some nuts.
0: Oh yes <laughs> and he um, holds out these incredibly long legs. Like, he's an 18 feet oak tree mm. and he holds out this hand you put like these nuts in this um, branches and stuff. in these branches um, in his of his hand and he instantly goes like, oh, so good
3: Oh I th- those were to give to the squirrels if you want company but you know
0: oh oh man, I really oh man no no, it's okay. Oh, I um, just goofed it again.
3: It's okay. I've I've got another gift, and then I like go up to him and I get this small red ribbon and then tie it to wherever I can.
0: He like looks and he's like, tie it. <laughs> oh, no, no, is it's it? tight. Can you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've loosen it up. So like, oh man, this is so good. Hey, you want some mushrooms? And he like points down to his feet and you can see these bright, vivid orange mushrooms. I've been trying these ones out, letting them grow on me. Man, they're, they're wild if you want some.
3: Oh, those would be excellent on the road. A bit of an experience, but I, I'm sure it'll be okay. I'll take those for. Yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And he picks off a couple of the mushrooms and hands them over to you. And he says, What do I owe the pleasure of coming out all this way into the woods just to say hi to your old friend? Man, I'm just. I feel so warm and fuzzy inside. So oh, great.
3: I've actually. Um, Come to say hi, but I've also come to say bye what? I'm, I'm, I'm leaving soon
0: oh man, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for you, but where are you going?
3: I mean, well, you know I'm going to this academy I'm gonna try to make a name for myself, you know how hard it has been here, so I'm just gonna gonna move on, and you won't see me for a while, but I'll come back
0: that's real man I, I respect that that's uh you know making a name for yourself that's woo. That's big gnome stuff right there. (laughs) big gnome stuff. Damn. Oh man. It wasn't anything I said, was it?
3: No, no. Absolutely not.
0: That's good. Because, I don't know, sometimes I wonder I say the wrong things and, you know. But, look, I'm sad to see you go. I'll admit. Uh, I'll make sure to say goodbye to all of you know, the squirrels and wombats and other things.
3: (laughs) Yeah, please do. I'm going to miss it all, really. You've... You made living here pretty bearable. So I just want to say thank you for that.
0: It's not that kid in town, is it? Do you want to go and beat him up? Because I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Uh,
3: Don't you worry. I'm going to set that record straight before I go.
0: Okay. But hey, look, since since you've been giving me all these gifts, well, I feel like I should give you a gift, you know? Like Uh. equivalent exchange and all that. Good karma, pass it on. All right. I don't really have much to give you ooh, ooh, and he holds out his hand and snaps off a finger. Dude. And you go, oh, it's cool, man. I'll grow another one. <laughs> and all right. he holds it out to you, and it's the size of a, of a walking stick. He says, you know, I suppose you're probably going to be doing a lot of traveling and your, your feet are going to get sore and stuff. I don't know what it's like for you little known beings. My feet don't get sore, but I heard it's a thing. Anyway, I think you should have it to help, you know, carry the burden and all that sort of stuff.
3: Milo just runs off and gives him a big hug. And whoa, one of whoa, his whoa! Feet. Watch the
0: mushrooms, man! <laughs> oh, sorry, I've been sorry, growing sorry, them for a sorry, while. Sorry. Okay, but no, nah, no, nah, I'm just messing with you, man. Come here, and he, he scratches you on the head with <laughs> one of his remaining four fingers. And yeah, this staff in your hand is—it's a little bit gnarled from being, you know, knuckly. But he snapped it off straight, and you can see these, you know, rivulets of swirls of the bark all the way up it that make it look quite splendid. And he says, "Hey, look, man." If you have need near me, just call out to the forest and I'll be right there.
3: Absolutely. I'm really going to miss you.
0: Yeah, you too, man. And you spend a few more moments in his company just hanging out and just chatting about small things and head back into town. So as you're heading back in, you hear some voices coming from the outskirts of the forest. You sure? Yeah, I swear I saw him go in. Uh, (sighs) Oh, Can't see anything. You know they say there's some weird things in there, I'll know about this. Look, I'm telling you, I saw him go in there. Don't you want to give him one last goodbye before you leave? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. What do you do? Ah, okay.
3: Okay, okay, okay. Milo has this plan. He's going to dig down into the forest and just get this big handful of mud. And then he's going to cast ghost sounds and project them far off and down the path.
0: And he's gonna hide a bit okay so what are the sounds that you're making
3: so it's just gonna be like simple rustling and a bit of milo's humming that he does so it's very subtly suggesting that milo's not where he is and further down the track
0: emerging from the track you see two halflings one is a bit skinnier and taller with spiky blonde hair the other one who's a bit squatter who has his face looks like it's being squashed in with a punch here's Pit who has been the boy that has given you grief for all these years yeah nah I heard him I heard him it's over here and they start to scurry off to the sounds that you projected far away from you Right,
3: he's going to step out onto the track behind them and he's going to cast Warped Terrain which is an illusionary spell that makes the ground uh, rough terrain through an illusion and it's just going to encompass them and the ground is going to warp and surround them and make their travel very ominously difficult.
0: So can you tell me about Elysia Terrain? Is it a focus spell or a... It is a focus spell, yeah. Okay, cool. Does it have a save on it?
3: I believe it is a will save.
0: Because I feel like they are interacting with it if you're immediately putting it up around them. (laughs) They did not fare very well.
2: They're big dummies. They're
0: big dummies. And so Kurt grabs Pitt on the show and says... Pit, something's happened to the ground. Look, it's all it's all getting weird and bumpy. And Pitt says, Oh, but I don't like this. It's what they say about forests. It's like spirits and things and demons. It's demons. They will like turn pelt and just start to run back. They'll step out and they'll just start screaming, Hey, assholes. You remember me? <laughs> um, they immediately stop in their tracks when you step out and they stumble and grab each other and like look up. It says, It's him. Come on, come on, Pit. There's, there's demons. We've got to go. We've got to go.
3: You've made my life here miserable. He's just going <laughs> to hell that glove full Delicious of mud. mud pie. Yeah,
0: cool. Give me a ranged attack. <laughs> That's a nine. Nope. <laughs> so the mud just goes sailing over their heads and they go, let's get him. Uh, and they start Shit. to just charge after you. I think they probably have the same movement speed as you. But because of the illusory terrain, start to stumble and trip because like the ground's still moving underneath them. So you're going to get a head start. What do you do? I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) run. Cool. Cool. So you just like turn and start pelting. And before too long, you've exited the clearing um, and back in Twinbrook. And there's people moving around from the market. So It's sort of like late afternoon. And you start to like move through the people and you can hear the shouts of the boys behind you. He's somewhere up here! And shoving people out of the way. You can hear the footfalls behind you. Is there any way you go?
3: Milo's probably going to head straight home. Probably just this didn't go out as planned. so, So
0: yeah, you head down the main strip. And of course, because it's winter clothes, there's market stalls lining the streets and there's fresh food vendors and everything. Musicians and lights everywhere. And so you head barreling down the main street. And then you hear a familiar voice and it's the voice of Nan. She is sitting with a flock of rapt people around her that are all paying very strong attention to her as she's telling a story and you hear her voice as you start running past.
3: So I'll quickly realize, oh, there's, there's Nan and I'll cast Illusionary Disguise on myself and just make myself look like someone in the crowd and yeah, cool. just blend away.
0: Yep, yeah, cool. So you turn into an unnamed person and you hear the two boys pelt past you. Can't have gone far. And they head down the street a bit further. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> and Nan is coming to the close of a story, as she you've seen her do many times before. She's just sitting on a chair. She is wearing a multicolor patchwork shawl. She's a large halfling woman. She has a mess of ringlets that crown around her head and big bright eyes that sparkle as she's telling this story. Her hands the entire time are moving and swirling images of light are emerging and floating in the air. She's saying, And then the demon went up to the steps of the last Fall mountains and it was there where it found the last fortress that they would never take. But as it was trying to get through, it was stopped. A single elf stood in the pass. And she conjures forth this image of this black beast that looks like an enormous dragon that's crawling up the mountains, and then a solitary individual standing guard against it. And she continues The demon approached the elf and said, I have raised a hundred towns and villages to this point. You do not want to be counted amongst them. And the elf stood and said, then let no more fall. You will not pass through these mountains today, demon. And so the demon, goaded on by the challenge, charged forward and took a swipe at the elf. And the mountains shook as its blow struck true. But when it moved its terrible claw, the elf remained brandishing A shiny, coppery shield. She brings up this image of this long, blonde-haired elf wearing this shining plate armor and brandishing this copper shield. The elf was Clypius, one of the first luminaries, and they have a shield that can never be broken. And so the demon said, Well, elf, I shall continue on my way to the fortress beyond, and I shall destroy it, be damned with you. But the elf was wise, and Clypeus said, You would destroy a hundred and one cities, but could you live down the fact that you were defeated by one elf? And the demon roared, and it charged forward, and it swung again and again to try and beat down the elf. But they stood, and for seven days and seven nights they fought there in the mountain pass, until a comrade of Clypius arrived, a dwarf by the name of Gladius, who brandished a golden sword that could cut through anything. And they charged down the mountains with an entire legion of giants. For Gladius was a natural leader and he was the only one who could summon all of the tribes of giants together. And with their combined might, they came for seven days and seven nights to try and bind the beast together. When they had it pinned, Gladius stepped forward and struck the demon in its chest. His sword, that could cut through anything, opened a gash in its diamond-like hide. And the demon roared in pain and it knew this battle was lost. So it fled the mountain pass, swearing to return another day. But there was a third Tracking it for seven days and seven nights was the gnome Arcus. She was cunning and she was smart and she followed the demon till it rest upon a far mountain top. She stood across the valley at another peak and only then did she challenge the demon and say your time is done demon you die today. But the demon laughed he said You are but a small gnome, several mountains away. You cannot hope to strike me down from there. But, Arcas, she raised her silver crossbow, which could never miss. And she fired a single silver bolt, which flew through the mountain tops and struck the demon right where Gladius had opened its heart. The demon fell and all the citizens from the 100 cities it had raised came that day to pin down the demon, each taking from it a single black scale which were the heart of its power. And the three luminaries, Gladius, Kypius and Arcus arrested the demon and locked him deep underground never to return again. And how should I know? Well, I was there 1,000 years ago, and I took many scales, which I have for you today, if you wish to purchase for a single (laughs) silver piece (laughs) each. And she holds forth a whole tray of these black, shiny scales, and... People just, like, surge forward and hold up pieces. And she goes, yes, yes, one at a time, one at a time. I'll take them all, I'll take them all. And after a flurry of exchanges of pieces and scales, she takes them. And she packs up her things. She sees you still in your disguise, Milo. And she says, right, we best be off then. And she hurries through. She spots a couple of guards down the street. She says, right, let's go, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And she continues on. Before too long, as you're weaving your way through the street, she says, Where have you been? You know, I was just saying goodbye to... I know, but we have precious few times together and this is the last time I get to see you for a long while. You didn't want to spend it with old Nan.
3: Wow, you were busy trying to sell those scales, I see.
0: This is true. You know, we got to make a living somehow. And she takes you around to a, a back alleyway where no one goes. It's behind three shop fronts that close in together. And there's a sort of like little lean-to that's been strapped together in there there's a, a large canvas cloth that runs down from between the buildings and you both step inside and inside is a strange assortment of trinkets and weird artifacts and things that have all been just stacked up and piled up together there's two messy beds that are inside the space and a stack of books everywhere as well and she says now i hope you've been practicing done your times tables yes Done your periodic tables
3: Yes, and he does his tell, which is fiddling with his ring.
0: Oh, done your periodic tables. No. There'll be some light reading for the travels. And she picks up a book and, like, <laughs> stacks it on you. She says, and uh, how you feeling? You ready to go?
3: I, I think so, yeah. I'm, no, no. I need to get better at this. I I will be going.
0: Well, that's the truth on is isn't it? And she gathers up a few things, and she says, oh, that's a nice stick you got there. Where'd you get that from? You're not getting it. Oh, dang it. It would sell for a pretty penny? Definitely not for sale. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Everyone to their own. And she keeps herself busy and she says, Want any food before you go?
3: Uh, I could do with a bit of something with honey if you have any.
0: Okay, yes, okay. She's got some like old stale bread that she heats up by the fire and gets a a little pot of honey that she's. It's it's only a very little pot, but she's managed to squirrel it away and she pulls it out and she says, Guess it's a special treat for while you go. And she puts it on a plate and hands it over to you. And she is busying herself. You can tell that she's trying to keep herself really occupied. She's not normally this scattered. And she says, oh, yes, right. Um, I got something for you on the table over there. There is a, you have to push through a bit of a a screen of bells and hanging herbs and things. But by your bedside table, there is a whole platinum piece sitting on the table. She says, got to pay your way through, you know. It's It's not cheap getting all the way to the academy, you know. Got to pay your wagons, got to pay for your food. I was going to figure it out. Uh, Well, we know how that usually goes, don't we? And she has bundled up all of the books that she wants you to take, and she passes them over to you, and she says, Got your spell book? Yes. You've been practicing? I have, very recently. Good. Because if things go south at any point in time, you're number one, okay? Look out for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. We can... uh, Spend as much time in the world trying to do good, but at the end of the day, the world is not fair, as you know. Yeah. Okay. She pats you on the back and she says, Now, you have to work hard because sometimes you can work as hard as you want to. Things might still not go your way, but that just means you have to work even harder, okay?
3: You know I work the hardest I can. Mm-hmm.
0: Keep your uh, the tenets of Marigold against you. And she brings out an orange sash, and she puts it on your shoulder. And she says, remember, any lie that serves good in the world may as well be the truth. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. good. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to do while you're at home?
3: He'll um, he'll pull something out of his bag, and he'll present it to Nan. Is it it nuts? No. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to save those. He pulls out uh, a little wind chime made out of different woods and small iron pieces and he just hangs it up at the front of the lean-to and says a little bit of a awarding mm-hmm. charm for for you know what
0: keep the mites away yes i know i know
3: no uh never mind <laughs>
0: <laughs> no she winks at you and, and uh, says yep yeah. good good thank you and she bundles you in for a hug and she says safe travels
3: thank you for everything then you didn't have to take me in but you did and i'm mm. I'm very lucky to have you.
0: Yep, and you'll continue to have me every time you come back and make sure when you're big and famous, you'll come back and, you know, make a nice dinner for me once in a while, okay?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna come back big and famous, and you're gonna see all of your work paying off.
0: That's what I'm talking about. And you set your chin to the sky, and you grab your pack of things, your purple cloak and and put it over your shoulders, and your walking stick, a silver platinum penny, feeling quite (laughs) heavy in your pocket and you make your way. Not long after you get out of town and you're in the wilderness, again, there's sort of twittering of birds keeping you occupied as you try and name each one as you've learnt over the years. You hear a voice behind you. Oh, you're joking. And you turn around and Pit is standing there. He has a backpack on, a few things together. And he says, what are you doing on this road then?
2: No.
0: I'm gonna become a luminary.
3: <laughs> you
0: will not. I run. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts to just like pelt after you. Can you actually just run me an initiative check? No. Yeah. 14. You get the lead on him, and so you start running in a very familiar fashion away. You've got a, a, a rucksack with thing. like charms and trinkets jingling on it as you run, <laughs> and you're carrying your staff as well. And, and you can hear him shouting, get back here! But before too long, you manage to lose him in the woods, but you know that you're traveling the same road now. <laughs> <laughs> and so with a sigh, you set your, you set your face to the wind and continue to march forward when you think it is safe. Let's move forward now. And we're actually gonna to go to the town of Fyðast, where the two of you are heading separately.
2: Fyðast.
0: Yep. And The two of you would have left on different days. Ultimately, you are going to arrive on the same day for the admissions into the academy. So high in the last fall range sits the sleepy town of Fythast. Nestled in amongst pine forests and mountains, ice on high sloped roofs is beginning to thaw giving the town a glittering sparkle. Fresh plumes of smoke are rising from the chimneys and people are bustling around as the day begins to dawn. It's sort of freshly morning as as you arrive in town. Some people are going about their daily business, going to the bakers, going to the markets. But there's actually already a gathering of people at this early hour on the outskirts of the village, just by the woods, where dozens of carriages and horses can be seen amongst a crowd of people that are already there gathering, and there's a murmur of excitement in the air. And there's a voice that sort of rings out as the two of you make your way into that crowd. And the voice sings out above everyone a bit louder than you would expect admissions, please make your way to the front of the crowd. Make your farewells timely and refrain from dramatics, please. And you see a rotund man standing atop a soapbox at the head of the crowd. He has slicked back hair, like a little like pencil mustache, ostentatious suede plum suit on. And he is ushering this excited group of people forward. And you can see in the crowd, there's individuals of all backgrounds, mostly youthful, but a lot of them are of varied ages. And they're all carrying various bags, equipment, weapons of all different kinds. But there's a larger crowd behind them that consists of families that are animated with, you know, hugs and tears and reassuring smiles amongst them. And you hear the voice again say, please leave your horses and carriages at least 50 feet away from the crowd, please, so that we can get everyone in nice and close. As he's sort of saying that, a carriage with these white horses pulls up in the front of the crowd and like a small frown flash across his face. And he says, sir. Please do not park your carriage there. And the carriage doors burst open and these two quite noble looking members of the family step out. And there's a small boy that trails out behind them and they're carrying these suitcases that are too big for them. They stumble (laughs) out. He's got mousy brown hair and big glasses and freckles. You hear a, I said. And then instantly the entire carriage lifts off the ground. (laughs) into the air as the stallions are whinnying and pouring at thin air and the entire carriage moves 50 feet back and just plants gently back down onto the ground. And you turn back and you see that the man, the box is just gesturing and he says, please step back. Very good then. I think this is probably everyone. So let's uh, move on with the formalities. I am Dean Pomus of the Forge Light Academy. I am here to monitor your admissions into the Academy today. It is my great honour to officially welcome you to the entrance Exams. He takes a moment to dab his forehead with a small kerchief and he unfolds a scrumpled up piece of paper from his breast pocket. You are no doubt all here because you believe that you are worthy of the title of Luminary and are ready to be grand adventurers, heroes and politicians like you've heard about in stories. Rest assured that a lot of you are not destined for such prestige, and such allusionments may not be productive to society. Do not fear though, the exam that you will be attending to today up at the the Academy will do to serve the wheat from the chaff, so if you are in fact deserving of tuition at the Academy, you have nothing to worry about. (laughs) Woo!
1: (laughs) Just like, one (laughs) lovely clap from the middle of
0: the clap. The carriages behind me will take you up to the Academy grounds for the exam, the journey will likely take most of the day. You are not permitted to leave the carriage at any point. There are many unknown dangers in the forest, but as long as you keep your heads, you shall be fine. The only times that you may leave your carriages are for short stops designated and permitted by your coachman. Do not hold the carriage up on your stops as anyone who is not at the academy by exactly sundown will be permitted no entry, no exceptions. Please, when I call your name, would you please step forward, place your luggage into the first carriage in the line and promptly take your seat inside. You have all written to us with your letters of application. So we have all of your names here. And so he unravels a scroll.
1: Aaron uh, Aronson. Aronson.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Aronson. Aaron Aronson <laughs> um, And there's a hush of anticipation over the crowd and he calls out, Letha Fieri. And a slender elven woman skips forward, skittishly sort of startled by her own name. Pim Folstaff, And another one. Lorik Bortusk, another one. And he pauses and once these three sort of arrive at the first coach, you see a coachman turn around and greet the three passengers, talking to them briefly. Once they all step inside, the doors close and the carriage takes off, trundling down a road into the woods and another one pulls up to take its place and he keeps going down the list. Talon Finador, Juniper Bryce, and you see the small boy with the mousy hair sort of run forward quite nervously. Pitt Humblebun, and you see Pitt emerge from the other side of the crowd, and he's sort of like confidently stepping up and he walks up to the carriage. And eventually you hear Kellen Barlinson.
1: Yep. I try and uh, saunter up towards the carriage very confidently, throw my bags in. And as I go to the carriage, I trip, <laughs> land straight on the ground in front of everyone. You
0: hear like a giggle behind you.
1: I just get up and just get in the carriage.
0: Yeah, how embarrassing.
1: <laughs> Milo Abdolish. Milo just
3: bolts through the legs that he has to get through and, and then he brushes
0: himself off and yeah. does the same. Doesn't trip, though. <laughs> <laughs> and the dean frowns at a second at the, the parchment. says, Beetroot, sunrise. And he looks out. Oh, Is there a oh, b- oh, Beetroot, that, that's sunrise? Me.
2: That, that's me. Yeah, hi. S- sorry. Yes, hi. And I... to the front, please. Yeah, yes, okay. And I walk up and I'm not meeting your eyes. I'm glancing and...
1: What does Beetroot look like?
2: So... How tall are you as a half-elf?
1: Reasonably, like five, ten, maybe closer to six.
2: Okay, so I'm about six, five, six, six or oh, so? wow half-orc and I'm light purple lilac-y colour and my ears are a little bit pointed as well, which is a little bit unusual and I've got a beanie on at the moment because it's quite cold so you can't really see, but you can kind of see some hair that seems to be tucked up and it's dark hair and dark eyes and little tusky boys just just sticking up and just wearing like a nondescript green tunic and breeches and I got a big pack. And I just seem extremely like unprepared for traveling. <laughs> there's also, I'm holding my my hands just kind of over my chest area. And if you look closely, it looks a bit damp.
0: Okay, cool. <laughs> so the three of you arrive at the coach and you've already chucked your bags onto the rack at the top. And there's a coachman there. He's got the wide broad brimmed hat on, a big bushy beard. He's a human with a big pot belly. And he says, all right, everyone in. Uh, We've got a long journey ahead of us. Just be careful of the floor under your feet there, sir. And he points at you as you're climbing and he says, bit of war damage under the rug. Put your foot right through it if you're not careful. But everyone in. And you all pile in and he pulls out a fine gold key from around his neck. He shuts the door on the three of you once you've all settled in and are sitting inside. And he turns the lock and instantly all the handles on the inside of the carriage go... And a blue sheen encapsulates you inside. And you hear like a muffled, oh, right, this is what doing, from outside. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> and he pats the wagon and jumps up onto the front of it. He gives like a, and the carriage starts to trundle. And the three of you are left sitting there in silence.
1: I'm sorry, but do either of you two know how dangerous this forest actually is?
2: I don't really know. I've not heard of it before. Have you?
0: have IG. You can roll a nature check for me. And that is an 18. 18, cool. Yeah, you would know that from hearing tales from like researchers and things who have come and done expeditions through the woods in these parts, that there are woods surrounding the academy and up into the last four mountains that people generally like to leave alone. They're not usually typically places of extreme danger to stay out of, but people have a bit of superstition around them, you know, there's generally magical things in this area, so if you're not equipped, you don't want to be wandering around in the woods by yourself.
3: Recalling that knowledge, I just give a slight smile to these two, and I say, yes, I do know. It should be
1: fine, as long as we don't enter that. I just don't know about you, but I've never been in a carriage that has an actual force field before. Doesn't that seem a bit, uh, well, concerning?
3: It is a prestigious academy. Maybe it's just to keep us it's Extra all bad, safe. All
1: that business about not leaving the carriage or anything, like... I'm sure it's fine.
2: Okay. I, I think if we just stay in the carriage, then we don't have anything to worry about, like they said.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess so. Guess we'll just kick it. And I, uh, chug foot up on the seat. <laughs> I'm just like, anyway, name's Kel. I'm, uh, Milo,
3: and I'll, I'll stand in my seat just to <laughs> look a little bit on eye level with these guys.
1: Pleasure, Milo. And um, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't quite catch your name
2: oh uh, um my name's beetroot um beetroot sunrise uh, um uh, you, you if you want you can you can just call me B you're
1: gonna have to give me that one again I'm sorry did you say your name is beetroot sunrise
2: y- yeah it, that that's a that's a normal name right sure
1: yes no wonderful uh lovely to meet you uh,
2: it's really nice to meet you too
1: you- oh ah uh, hang on
2: don't want a cookie what sort of cookie is that? Is that in the shape of a candle?
1: Yes, it's a old family joke. Uh, the honey and almond. Oh. Honey?
2: And this instantly
3: <laughs> sits down and starts numbing it, just starts eating it straight away.
2: I, like, eat most of it, but then I, like, there's a couple of crumbs and I just put them down my shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the journey continues. You... Probably, Milo, you're listening to the twitterings of birds outside. They're slightly muffled, but you can still try and identify them and make them out as you wake I, I'm snoring. I'm, I'm asleep. Yeah, within like 20 minutes, <laughs> yeah. you just have the whole like backseat of the car
1: it's trip. Like bird, like, bird. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> just as soon as you're in a moving vehicle, it's like, nah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, and so you're like listening to the birds um, outside.
2: I'm glued to the window, just.
0: Yeah. If you're looking outside and you're quite intent, can you give me a perception check, please?
2: I certainly can. Nine. Not great.
0: Cool. Great. So, yeah, you're looking out the window. There's dappled sunlight from the canopy above that is flickering in your eyes that passes through the trees. The forest floor is a rich green of, of ferns and impressive trees that rise much higher than most trees that you've seen back home. For a very split second, there is a, there is a motion in the trees, but you don't quite catch it.
2: I just try and squint. See if I can... Must be nothing.
3: <laughs> what must be nothing?
2: Oh, um, I just, I thought I saw something, but I think it was just a shadow.
3: Oh, yeah, it was probably just a bird.
0: <laughs> you continue on. The snoring is uh, saw blades in your ears. Um, you're trying to drown out the sound of the snoring, focusing on like the sounds of the outside. But before too long, you've probably been traveling for maybe a couple of hours at this point. You notice something. There is no bellbirds anymore outside. It is silent. The birds have stopped entirely. And at that moment, the wagon slows a little bit and it trundles to a stop. The horses is padding along, but the wheels just slow down. And eventually, the wagon comes to a stop. And you can see the wagon driver, the coachman, through the front window. And he's just sitting still. I will...
2: Excuse me? And I, like, try and knock where... Wherever. Yep. The
0: tip. Yep. So you wrap on the glass and
2: get a look at and it. And I'll
0: peek yep. the same way. He tilts his head a little bit as though he's like trying to like look at something in the distance, and he just keeps tilting and keeps tilting, and then slides off the front of the carriage and collapses onto the ground outside.
2: Oh no! And I immediately open the door to the carriage. It's locked. Yeah. Uh, uh, um.
0: I wake up
3: our friend here.
2: There's something. Mm, yeah, something's wrong.
1: Oh, uh. What? What?
2: The the. What's- the carriage man, he, he's on on—he's—he's he's on the ground. He's slid off. Um, he's,
0: he's what? You look out the window and you see sprawled on his back is the coachman. His eyes and mouth lolling open and there is blood trickling from, from his mouth.
1: Oh, oh my god. god. Okay.
2: I'm like get, trying the out. door Don't. harder and harder. And then I'm just going to start trying to kick the door to open it up.
0: Yeah. So you're kicking the door and this blue sheen goes as you're trying to bang up against it.
2: Okay. We need to get out of this to help mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. What, do we, what do we do?
0: Um, Does anyone he,
3: have an do, idea?
2: Either of you spell casters?
3: Well, Yeah, but he did say, and you know, I'll like open up the carpet from when the- Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So you, you lift up the rug and there is indeed like a, a bit of water damaged wood underneath it. And that looks like it has some rain pool in. So the, the wood is looking a little bit rotten away. We could, do you want to try kicking? All right, oh, yeah. stomp, <laughs> yeah. stomp, stomp,
2: stomp. Uh, can
0: you give the athletics check as you try and kick your way through the floor?
2: Thirteen.
0: Thirteen? Cool. Yeah, so it doesn't take much for the floor to just... What are you doing at this time,
1: Kel? I'm just trying to, like, scan either side of the road while they're trying to open the uh, hole in the floor because it's a bit crowded. I figured I'd just have a look outside and see if I can't see anything.
0: Yeah, you glance outside. Give me a perception check.
1: That is a natural 20. Heck. Ooh. Hell yeah. Yes. Um, my laser eyes go see yeah, th- through yeah, time. My, oh my God. You um, see. Oh, hey, my, dad's, my dad's- baking What so, are okay. my, <laughs> my <dad>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, my dad's baking sourdough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. Well, in that case, with a 20, so that means that's a critical hit, critical success, I should say. With that, I'll actually give you, you are looking through the trees and you're scanning everything quite frantically. And as you sort of like vision-like pans here and here and here, for one moment it rests and there is a figure standing in the trees. The figure is about eight feet tall. It is wearing a long, dark, shimmering purple robe that is almost alien-like. It looks like you're looking into space itself, almost. And the weirdest thing about it is its face, or lack thereof. Because on its shoulders is a smooth white egg of a head with nothing but a strange geometric pattern sprawled across the face of the of the thing and it looks so out of place in this natural environment and as you're sort of like glancing around you're like what and then like look back and it is gone
1: and I, I, I turn and I say it's okay guys I know what we need to do we just need to find the eight pages hidden in the forest and then we can get out and everything will be fine okay <laughs> no I uh, I <laughs> I actually I turn, and I, I turn and I say um there's a
2: Thing. There's, a, there's a what?
1: It's a it looks not from around here. Tall b- bizarre looking. It didn't have a face. It's eight feet tall, purple. It doesn't look particularly warm and wholesome and inviting. So perhaps if we're going to go outside, we should use caution.
0: At this point there's a... <coughs> as the floor falls out from underneath your feet, but you feel your foot hit against the surface of the ground. Just mm. Be careful. It was if it it's watching
1: us, I think I'm getting. I'm getting
2: the carriageman. Give me a sec. And I jump out or jump down.
1: Wait, wait, wait. We'll all go out together. I'll cover you back. I'm already. Okay. I'm ha- going to try I'm and follow like, after. I'm like climbing under. Because I, I imagine there's enough space under the carriage for all of us to crawl. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You so can I'm all gonna get, gonna get crawl, down it, crawl and commando
0: crawl after after through everything. And you start to like shuffle out. And you see the body of the coachman lying a few feet away. But from what you can see, the road is entirely empty.
2: I'm crawling over to him and I'm going to grab him and pull him uh, under yeah, cool. the carriage.
0: You, you, you seize him and, and grab him and pull him under. What are you guys doing?
1: I am going to... Uh, we're all under the carriage still, yeah. yeah. I think I'm going to try and um, turn back behind us and see if there's any other carriages coming up the road because we were in a convoy, right? You were. So I'm going to try and uh, look around to see if there's any other carriages nearby or any lights in the distance. Or yeah, cool,
0: yeah. So you spend some time like looking down the road but it is just a straight, narrow road. There's the shade of the trees, forms just like a black void. At the end, there's a few leaves falling. But other than that, there's just the sound of a breeze. What, and, what time of day it
1: was, did you say? You've probably
0: been charming for a few hours. So it's probably like about midday, maybe one o'clock at this point. Okay, yeah. The horses with the, the coachman that have fallen over start to get like a bit antsy and they start bucking and <sighs> whinny a little bit. Do, do, any of you, do either of you know how to uh, have,
1: do you have any experience with horses? Because I've, I've ridden a couple, but I don't know how to drive a coach necessarily.
2: Um... Uh, I'm more used to dealing with the stuff that they don't need anymore.
1: Right. We'll unpack that later. Um, I, <laughs> uh, you, Milo? Uh, no, sorry. Okay. Can I um, check
2: if the coachman is he alive?
0: Uh, you can do a medicine check for me, please.
2: What is with my garbage? Ten. <laughs> Ten? Cool.
0: So, yeah, you, you check for a pulse. He is not breathing. He has no pulse, but he's unresponsive. His eyes are staring into the
2: abyss. And he's not breathing. Okay. I'm going to start doing get, get terrible CPR. Get, CPR. get him
1: in the carriage. I'm going to try and calm the horses down and get us moving again.
2: <sighs> oh, okay.
1: I'll, I'll cover you. Yes. And I'm going to crawl out and get up and try and, first of all, try and calm the horses down yep. and then try and get up on the carriage and get us moving again. Great.
0: So I think, oh God, I'm going to screw this up. I think nature is handle animal.
1: Is it? Oops. Oops. Well, oh, that's going to you know, be fun for us. I don't know us. if it's
0: survival or nature. Ham. On. One sec.
1: I'm going to be real with you, Gianni. It's not going to matter.
0: Yeah, command an animal. Okay, well, it's a six. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so what do you do
1: to, to yeah. calm them down? Well, I imagine coming from an estate, I've ridden horses before, but I've never dealt with them when they've been tied to a carriage. So yeah. I'm going to try go in and gingerly pat them. They instantly rear up, <laughs> as, as, up as, as you, as you right. get forward. No, nope, um, that's okay. And the, the carriage starts to roll forward as they start to oh, belt. And I'm just going to try and jump up on the coach seat. And, and try and get things under control, Yeah, I guess. cool. So you jump up on the coach seat. What do you two to do as the carriage you, starts you to- You have like to be nice. Uh, could use I could mean- use a bit of a hand out here. All right, all right, all right. I'll
3: jump onto the, to the coach as well and just try and calm down the horses as well.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, so you critically failed to handle the animals, <laughs> ah. um, which is why they're going to bolt. And so the whole carriage starts to lurch forward. What are you doing with the body?
2: So, well, I had dragged him back underneath the carriage and was- Putting him back into the carriage. Cool. and then The carriage starts to after. roll
0: as his legs start to like drag along the ground, and you're <laughs> sort of like holding on to the bottom.
2: I'm oh, trying oh, to I climb don't... up. <laughs> do I need to do some acrobatics um, there? Yeah,
0: I'll get you to do an athletics actually to just hold on to the bottom of the carriage. This is you're some, like, this like, this some heaving, western shit. Yeah, right you're here, heaving like... this guy in.
2: Um, that's not bad. That's a twenty-five.
0: Great. So yeah, you managed to like push him in at the last moment, and then crawl up yourself as the ground starts to move faster and faster underneath you. Can you give me a nature check to try and take over the reins from Kellen?
1: Come on, horses. You take it. I don't want it. I don't want it. That's a eighteen. Eighteen. Cool.
0: So you manage to grab onto it and steady them a little bit, but they're still pelting forward. I and mean, it takes a little bit of wrangling to manage to actually calm them down to the point where they're not running, but they're still a little bit agitated.
1: Do you have it under control? I I, I kind of... That's good enough for me. I'm going to uh, get on top and cover us. Okay, just, just be careful. And I'm going to climb up and... Laying down on the top and just scanning around, giving some more visibility. Cool. Um, and just sit there ready to deal with what comes. Yep.
0: so the carriage slows again down as you will manage to gain control. You'll get your breath back a little bit. You're inside the carriage still with the coachman.
2: I'm also going to start praying. Okay. Here with this body, I'm assuming I've been able to climb inside as well. And I'm putting my hands on his chest and just, okay, you've done You've done this before, you can do this again. Help. (laughs) Please help and start to feel this weird tingly kind of sensation. And it gets real bright all of a sudden in the carriage. And I'm inadvertently casting lay-on hands Mm -hmm. on the coachman.
0: Yep. You feel as you have before this unknown warmth course through your body again and down your arms and into your hands and it pulses like a defibrillator on, <laughs> on, on this body and you see his chest like rise up a little bit but something feels really wrong there is something strange it's almost like you're trying to put life into a rock like something that's been like calcified almost you see he just collapses back down he is not moving still
2: I'm really sorry I don't know what else to do.
0: As his like, chest moved and fell, you see like the gold chain with the, the key to the coach tilt out of his, his shirt as well. Outside, the two of you, as you're sitting and you're getting your breath back, you hear a yell further down the path. A startled. Ah! Further
1: ahead? Like. Yeah, straight ahead. M- Milo, can you get this coach moving?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I'll try and... <laughs> yeah,
0: cool. And, you, and the carriage starts moving.